In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Welcome to the Jungle by Guns and uh, and Roses. I feel like I've heard that before, but I don't think I have. When we went back to the archive and looked, it didn't seem like we played that before, which is a bit surprising. But uh, it certainly uh, it certainly personifies the world in which we live in currently. Well, that's it, buddy. I mean, that's why it was selected. Uh, you know, 1987, a great song, certainly reminiscent of an election year, which we are now in. This is the jungle. It's not going to get better. It is very likely going to get worse. But, you know, someday, buddy, like, I don't know what you would call this kind of a person, like a social anthropologist, maybe something along those lines is going to come back to this very fine program because it is so representative of you know our culture and they're going to look at the songs that we've chosen over the years and they're going to find that welcome to the jungle you know was up near the top and they're going to say oh well this is a commentary on how the culture was way back in the year you know 2020 2020 2021 2022 2023 2024 you know and onward and they're going to be right because we have properly selected songs for the times Wow, that's absolutely right. I, I have actually, I'm surprising you with this, but I've got news that the local Pequot Indian tribe is putting together a uh, time capsule. And in it, they're putting various things that remind them of the world we live in. So, for example, uh, you've got a MAGA hat, right? And you've got uh, um, Biden's rubber sheets that he sleeps on at night. You've got a pack of uh, Prince Andrew's never used condoms from 1978. Uh, probably a, uh, a a variety of things from Bill Clinton that you uh, need to put in that time capsule so they can't be DNA tested. Uh, and in that capsule, which is going into the cornerstone of the new big Foxwoods Casino they're building uh, up in the Northeast, uh, they're going to put a copy of this podcast on a track, ensuring that no one will be able to listen to it. Good idea. All of that. Is a good idea. I mean, I, I sort of feel bad for the members of the Pequot tribe that have been tasked with collecting items representative of you know our current era because it's just almost entirely depressing, right? You know, a hundred years ago could have been putting in things that were you know representative of a boom economy, obviously shortly to come to an end. Uh, you know, a nation on the rise, a nation that was stepping into global leadership after the, uh, you know, Treaty of Vienna, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but now, you know, not so much. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I uh, was talking about this with somebody at our church over the weekend and um, talking about the state of our country. And they just had a baby 
right? They just had a baby and they mm-hmm. said that they were going to name the baby Woodrow, Woodrow after Woodrow Wilson. Mm-hmm. And they received, uh, and I guess when you name a baby these days, you have to, you know, vet it. Like you vet a Pope, you have a bunch of Cardinals, Cardinals voter, whatever, like Joe Torrey and, uh, uh, Whitey Herzog. And uh, I guess they vetted the name Woodrow and, and the consensus was from the, uh, the whatever crowdsourcing exercise they used that it was not appropriate because Woodrow Wilson hated African-Americans. So therefore the name, I guess it's the next Adolf because you really don't see anyone named Adolf anymore. And I guess Woodrow is following in that long line of uh, uh, names that are shamed and thus put into the dustbin of history along with Genghis yeah, you don't meet too many Dinguses. You don't meet too many Adolfs. You frankly don't meet too many Woodrows regardless. And probably everyone you do meet is colloquially known as Woody, which is unfortunate anyway. So I'm sort of glad that they didn't name the child Woodrow because he would have been a Woody. And that's hard to live down, especially in view of uh, of uh, Cheers. Everybody's going to think of Cheers. But it is stupid to the point of absolute stupidity to take the position that you can't name someone Woodrow because Woodrow Wilson hated blacks. First of all, do we know that? Is that, is that a matter of historical fact or is that just some supposition based on the time period in which he lived? I I think there's extensive evidence that he disliked African-Americans, Jews, and and various other groups. I think, I think it's in his writings and his uh, diaries and his conversations with people. I think, I think we can assume for the record that that's accurate. And how would that make him different from anyone walking the face of the near as I can tell, there are many people today who just hate people that don't look like them. Well, George, Wallace, side, George Wallace, look at George Wallace. People still name their kid, George. Well, that's well. look at King George. People George, Michael, kids. Phyllis, George. Yeah, see, I mean, you're right. That's that's the point. Maybe maybe you should take the opposite perspective and say, no, we're going to redeem the name. We think Woodrow is a classic name. That should not be put in the dustbin of history simply because of Woodrow Wilson and, and our child is going to be a better human being and we're going to name him Woodrow and it'll become popular again. Maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, I think they ended up naming their Luke. I think they went with Luke from from uh, Star Wars, Star Wars or the Bold and the Beautiful or whatever it is. But in any event, uh, start with some housekeeping. This is David Pridham and Brad Sheaf. We are back in the new year. 2024. We still mean business. Uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, we are here on iHeartRadio, but you can also, if you choose not to subscribe, rate, and review on iHeart, you can go wherever, wherever you get your uh, your podcasts, and you can um, you can get them there. You can you can rate it, review it, as long as it's a good review. You subscribe, force your friends to subscribe. All the all the good stuff. And then you can learn more about us on social media, anywhere you get your social media at IP underscore frequently.com uh, anywhere, wherever the social media is. Even if you go back and, and just read the newspaper, look for those, those, uh, those, those, those letters and, and you'll find us. Um, and uh, uh, just remember that uh, we're always updating our IP frequently.com website. We're always updating our at IP underscore frequently social media. So we are constantly constantly in a state of flux there so anytime you want to find out some information about us there it'll be okay i'm gonna make you know just for the sport of it i'm going to make the presumption that all of that is true yeah you know give or take give or take update i mean what is update you know update 
constant. You, you, just, right. you just don't well, know. There, I mean, there's no truth anymore. You get to say whatever you want. And then by, by the mere fact that you have said it, it makes it true. And so at this point, this, you know, as a matter of just seconds ago, our, all of that has been updated because you said it. Correct. Correct. It's constantly being updated. I mean, look at the private. We can start right here. Look at the president. So when we last talked, you had all these university presidents who went up to Capitol Hill and uh, were asked about whether or not anti-Semitic behavior or comments supporting genocide violated their campus free speech policies or speech policies. Mm -hmm. And they all hemmed and hawed and wouldn't answer. And so the woman who was leading UPenn got fired pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And then the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay, hung on for a while. And then she ended up resigning this past week from her role as president of Harvard. She uh, is also embroiled in a pretty serious plagiarism scandal where a lot of her articles from when she was was a student at Harvard um, have come into question because they quote, uh, other folks work without attribution. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what she did over the holiday break, which is kind of interesting, is she went back and she updated her uh, work, her theses or whatever, she right. articles, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. She went and updated it and, and, and credited the um, folks that she had actually cited. So some 30, she's 53, so some 30, 25, 30 years later, she went back and updated it. And and her argument was that this is the way it's typically done when faculty at Harvard have similar issues. On the same token, I think 25 uh, students from Harvard were expelled last year alone, 2023, for plagiarism. So you've got on the one hand – this really nice point. She's staying on, by the way, at Harvard as a as a tenured professor. Um, on the one hand, you have this professorial uh, deal where if you're caught plagiarizing something, you know, all, all it, it doesn't matter. You just correct it. I mean, you could be dead, and I guess mm. someone could correct it, and then you're good. Mm. If only you know, if only um, that worked for uh, that woman who wrote that. You remember that woman who wrote the Washington Post article about the drug drug addicted mother and the kid addicted to crack in the eighties? She won the Pulitzer Prize and then right. lost her job and basically had to became ostracized from community forever. Um, but but I guess this is a new way to go. And I guess a lot of the students at Harvard are kind of wondering why there's such a double standard. But then the broader thing here is that it seems like common sense is starting to take hold at these college campuses where. Uh, these people who you never thought a million years would be held accountable for anything are actually being held accountable. Well, I mean, accountability is a good thing, right? And it is just ironic to the point of, you know, disbelief that a professor would look at a student. Now the student is in a, you know, sort of definitionally is in a student role. They're in a learning role. And so they make the mistake intentional or otherwise of what, what what was Claudine's excuse not properly attribute attributing her work, so they make that mistake right as a student, as someone who is who is supposedly learning to be a college educated adult, and the professor looks at them and says, "Well, you're a dishonest person, right? Mm-hmm. You have stolen from someone else. You have stolen their work, and you have taken credit for it, and we will not have that." here at Harvard. Okay, now that's that's fine. If that's the standard that Harvard wants to hold, I mean, as I, I think most folks listening to this very fine program know, I went to 
the Air Force Academy, and certainly the Air Force Academy is, you know, they, they don't screw around with any sort of honor violation. So I get that. That's fine. And you know, and if you as long as you know that coming in, and you know that's the standard to which you're going to be held, that's fine. But then for that same professor who is supposedly the person guiding the students into, you know, acceptable cultural adulthood, they're not plagiarists when they do exactly the same thing. They simply made a mistake and are allowed to correct it. The student, the learner is not allowed to correct the mistake that they've made, but the instructor is. And that is just ridiculous and stupid and, you know, probably speaks to why our higher education system is where it is, because we we sort of hold students accountable. And I, and I applaud that any, anytime we do it. But we do not hold the people who are actually holding the students accountable accountable. The students realize that they're not idiots. They realize there's a double standard and they start to ask questions as well. They should. Right. Accountability is an important thing. Right. You know, holding people to a standard that we all agree is appropriate is the very core of marriage. It's the very core of child raising. It's the very core of being able to establish social trust. I mean, that, 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 that's how everything works is through setting a standard and then holding people accountable. And, you know, certainly I would take the position that forgiveness of mistakes, forgiveness of, you know, behavior that has gotten out of control, all of that should be a part of the process. But, but when there's a double standard set and the double standard always serves those that hold power, you're starting to see society fray at the edges right then and there. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is if she, cause she was a student at Harvard at the time, all these articles or, or, dissertations, whatever, were were written. So she was a student. She became a professor and then became the president of the university. And with that, I guess, bestows upon her the ability to uh, go back and, you know, air quotes, correct her, correct her articles. But I, I think it's interesting. It's not done yet because you still have the president of MIT and um, the other one, I don't even remember which one it was, Columbia or, or wherever. Uh, so there are a couple more that are still, you know, sort of hanging on. Uh, but I, I saw today that the entire board of trustees at, at Harvard is now under fire and they're trying to to turn them over. So this, uh, you know, this is this Israeli thing is is interesting. The the uh, the way that cuts both, uh, you know, both ways. I I also saw today that. In Biden's administration, there are a number of folks who have resigned because he has refused to call for a ceasefire and refused to sort of take a more neutral position on uh, on Israel. So I think I think a number of, of sub secretarial level uh, personnel in his cabinet have resigned. Um, the guy that was stealing women's luggage so that he could wear their clothes, did he resign or? He he is on Sistan sabbatical, so I don't think you could technically yeah. resign from sabbatical. Tough to lose him, her. Yeah, she she shim. Uh, but but a number of people resigned, and I guess seventeen members of his uh, campaign staff have told him to demand a ceasefire. I, I guess he's being. It's it's interesting because he's sort of taking a hard position in support of Israel here, which it seems to go contrary to a lot of the other positions he's taken over the years, 
where he's waffled and changed his position on guns and on crime and on abortion and on taxes and on immigration. And I mean, you just go down the list, everything he's, he's, he's sort of wavered on. Um, but on this one, he is, this one, he's not. And it, it seems to me that as we get further past what happened with the whole uh, Hamas Israel initial uh, attack, more and more people are quickly putting in their rearview mirror and either supporting the uh, Palestinians or taking a very neutral position that leans toward anti anti Israel. But I, I find it interesting that Biden is is resisting that so far, and he's even continuing to sell some weapons to Israel. Although it's I, I think it was a couple hundred million millions of dollars of uh, of uh, of weapons. But it, it 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 seems like he's taking a pretty strong pro-Israeli position here, which I guess is is commendable in light of the, the the backlash he's getting from his own people. Yeah, but I mean, it is interesting and it'd be interesting. I think you and I can both agree that Biden has never had an original idea in his whole life, right? I mean, the whole plagiarism thing is, is ironic in view of that as well, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy who is now occupying the Oval Office, who is an admitted plagiarist and, you know, is on record if you want to be polite, is on record shading the truth or stretching the truth just dozens and dozens and dozens of times, if not just outright lying. Right? And so he he's clearly not someone who, you know, sort of listens to his own internal voice, you know, is sort of guided by his own internal moral compass. I mean, he just he's just a product of whatever he thinks is going to get him elected. He is a career politician. That's all he's ever been. So there has to be some voices somewhere that are telling him, no, you know, stand fast. This is the proper position to take. You know, this is this is what's best for policy. You know, this is what's best. And, and frankly, someone must be telling us what's best for him because, you know, that's the guiding principle that he has steered himself by his entire career. And so there must be some group. I mean, obviously, there's this very vocal group. Who is saying no, no, no? You need to, you need, you need to demand a ceasefire. You need to do this. You need to do that. Uh, but there must be some, even more influential in his world group that is telling him, nope, stick by your guns. You know, see this thing out. It would be interesting to know who that is. I have no idea. I mean, I, I it's, it's the Ukraine thing. There is almost universal support in his party for. The Ukraine—it's weird because the Republicans have morphed into the Democrats. Democrats have morphed into the Republicans on some of the old Cold War um, uh, issues, and so mm. the Democrats—it's like uh, there's a hundred percent support for more aid to the Ukraine, more aid to the Ukraine. Um, but the the support for Israel, where arguably the attack on Israel was more egregious. Maybe not even arguably it was more egregious than what you know the the Russian incursions into the Ukraine over the years uh, have been like. Um, but there are a lot of folks in his own party that don't support the Israel conflict. There are a lot of folks who want to cease fire and just want to get this behind him, and he's standing his ground. And it's it's not as if it's a very popular position to take because it's very nuanced, and it's certainly something he can't articulate. On the stump now. At the same time, you got Trump, who's probably going to be his opponent, and um, you know Trump has always been steadfast in his support for Israel, right? Always. But then, I guess he, when he lost the election, Benjamin Netanyahu, who was still the prime minister at the time, 
said that, uh, you know, he placed a call to Biden and congratulated him on the win. And that got Trump mad because Trump didn't think Biden won or was pretending Biden didn't win or whatever. And so if Trump gets in, who knows what he'll do? I mean, you just don't well, know. Yeah. I mean, you can't, again, welcome to the jungle, right? I mean, you cannot do that with Donald Trump, right? Because Donald Trump's driving force is, you know, where, you know, is where Biden's is all the outside influence. So he wants to be popular. He wants people to like him. You know, he wants to, you know, the, the last person to talk to him is probably the, the person whose suggestion is going to be enacted, right? I mean, that's just sort of the way he is. Trump, his ego is, uh, that's all that matters to him. His ego is, you know, to say it's enormous is, is to make an understatement. And that's all that matters. You know, if you have ever said anything bad about him, if you've ever done anything that he even perceives as being a slight, then, you know, you're dead to him, right? I mean, it, it is all about bending the knee, kowtowing, kissing the ring, whatever euphemism you want to use. That's what it's all about with Donald Trump. And the moment that you don't do that, you don't even really have to do anything negative as long, you know, if you're not doing something positive in terms of his ego, then you're out. Right. And, and, and forever, he's just going to, you know, he's just going to hate you. And so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, if Trump wins the election, which is hard for me even to say it, but, but I, I mean, if it, <laughs> we get down to those two, right. I mean, just as an aside, just for a moment, everybody go through the mental exercise of remembering that in this country, there are, you know, north of 330 million people. So let's just for the sake of the argument, say that half of those people are, you know, meet the qualifications to be president of the United States. So, you know, 170 million people meet that, you know, criteria. And we have narrowed our pyramid at the tippy, tippy top of 170 million people we have come to two who are very likely, again, going to be candidates for the CEO of the United States of America. Just think about that for a second. Out of 170 million people, those are the two that we've come up with. It's mind-bogglingly ludicrous, but is what it is. And it, it, But if, if he gets the gig, it'll be interesting to see whether his ego – if Netanyahu is still where he is, if his if Trump's ego or his staunch historical support of Israel wins out, that'll just be interesting to see. I'm pretty sure his ego will carry yeah, the day. But that would what, be my guess. What what also is interesting is now you've got this new uh, front in the campaign where Democratic secretaries of state are taking Trump off the primary ballots in their states. And theoretically off the general ballots because he supported this insurrection, air quotes, and thus is prohibited by the Constitution from being elected president. That's at least the theory. And so in your home state of Colorado, yep. they've they've done that. And then in Maine, they've done that as well. Now in both as well. Now in both of those cases, you've got a Democrat, partisan Democrat who's making the decision. So I would argue, you know, there's a problem there and we're becoming, you know, banana republic ish when you have these partisans uh making this case and, and you know california has said he's going to stay on the ballot there and i applaud them for that and there are some other states that have said the same thing but if you get a state like michigan or a state like pennsylvania 
uh, to, to, to follow suit. And you could because Democrats are in control in those states. And then this goes up to the Supreme Court, which it seems like it's destined to do, right? Oh, yeah, it has to. Is, sure. And this, who knows what they're going to do, right? Because you have three Trump-appointed judges in the Supreme Court who could very well say, listen, we are recusing ourselves from this. Mm. And then that tips the balance of power on the uh, on the vote to it it's, becomes three to three, um, making it a lot more dicey, a lot more likely for Judge Roberts to try to find consensus. Um, but it, it, it could get very interesting for the ramifications of the campaign. I mean, I'm concerned because what that means in the future is that if you think someone's running as a as a part and you're a partisan on the other side and you don't like that candidate or there's something about them that you're nervous about you don't want them to get elected you just take them off the ballot and you make something up and then you you argue that they're not qualified to be president rather than leading up to the voters i always think it's good to leave it in the hands of the voters and i quite frankly think that if it's biden against trump and you leave it to the voters absent biden like falling off of a a debate stage uh, I think Biden will beat Trump. Maybe I don't think it'll be handily, but I think he'll beat him because I think all the undecideds will flip to to Biden at the last second, unless there's some global catastrophe or uh, depression, both of which are, are sort of likely, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Well, no, buddy, I, I mean, unfortunately, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, we, we have become a banana republic. We're using political power to mitigate political figures on the opposite side of those that are in control, right? I mean, that's sort of the definitionally, well, I guess not definitionally a banana republic. There's a lot of things that go into that. But the use of, you know, temporary political control to mitigate or silence folks on the opposite side of the issues is tyranny. That's what it is. And if we don't put things, we should put everything in the hands of the voters, right? I mean, that's the mistake that folks who are all upset about the Supreme Court ruling that they say overturned Roe v. Wade are making, right? I mean, what the Supreme Court did there, everybody, regardless of where you stand on the abortion issue, everybody should applaud that and say, great. Instead of putting hands, power in the hands of the government, we've put it back in the hands of the voters. And therefore, the voters can decide what their you know, at least on a state by state basis, what their stance is going to be on abortion, right? And fortunately, we live in a place where, you know, you can travel. And I realize it's inconvenient. I realize there's all these sort of downsides, but there's downsides to every form of government. Right? And the one that we have selected, you know, sort of based on Winston Churchill's guidance, who said democracy is a terrible form of government, but it's the best one we have. Right. Is, is we've we've tried to put things in the hands of voters as opposed to in the hands of a much smaller group of people who find themselves in positions of governmental authority. We don't want those people making decisions that critically impact our lives. We want to vote on them. Right. And and this the I I don't care what side of any issue you're on, you should be horrified at the idea that some elected official who theoretically is temporarily in control and only serves at the at, at the pleasure of the voting populace, right? At the pleasure of the electorate, you should be terrified at those folks using that control that you've given them to ensure their continued authoritative role and minimize those who have a voice on the opposite side. That that should just horrify you if you believe in democracy at all. 
And, and if, and, and if you're applauding it, if you're saying, well, it's good for now, because, you know, the folks that are, that are using their authority in that way are, are on my side, then you're an idiot because that will not always be the case. Okay. I mean, I, I'm sure that folks that were friends of the czars in, you know, early 20th century Russia thought, well, this is fine. The czars can be abusive and et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, they're on our side, you know, that worked yeah, right up until, you know, Lenin and Stalin showed up. And then how did that go for you? Right. Not so good. Okay. And that is what will happen. But what we need to do is focus on putting things in the hands of the voters. And if you don't like Trump, that's fine. Don't vote for him. Convince your neighbors not to vote for him. Go out and campaign for whoever's running against him, but don't pull him off the ballot because you are just shooting yourself in the face. Yeah. And that, and that's really what happened with uh, the the whole Roe v. Wade thing. I mean, people were advocating for the longest time to keep that in place um, and not overturn it, who are benefiting now from an environment where it was overturned. It's proving exactly what um, Alito said should happen, would happen, right? Would happen, should happen, and did is happening, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's the fact that you have democracy in action and people are empowered now to decide for themselves. And and the reality is not many states are completely banning abortion. No, are, even in places place. you thought they would, right? I mean, there's these surprise votes on the issue. And where it comes on the ballot, the, the, the um, reasonable access to abortion with, with, you know, reasonable with, with, with restrictions is winning over everywhere, access to everywhere, yeah. I mean, including in deep red states. And so, and that's getting people out to vote. And by the way, in the last congressional election, one of the reasons there was net, maybe the reason there was no big red wave other than the fact that the Republicans are idiots is that you <laughs> had this, you had this issue at the top of every ballot and people mm-hmm. were, were bringing this up and bringing this up and bringing this up and continuing to go back to it. And they were, I mean, whenever you add one of these referendum items on a ballot in a state like Ohio or Kentucky or um, uh, in, uh, in, in Florida, you know, you have a lot more moderates who are going to vote for reasonable access, reasonable meaning within, within, within some bounds of reason um access to abortion and those people are down ballot not voting for MAGA republicans so that helped the democratic congressional candidates across the board and that's why they only are down by like one or two seats so it's uh it'll be interesting to see how that impacts everything that uh um that is the 2024 election because that issue is being teed up at the top of every ballot and that's the type of thing that could save biden in certain states oh sure oh for sure yeah, no, and, and you know, I think we, you got to, we're getting to a point where you can argue all day long about whether a two party system is better than a, you know, a more party system. And, and I'm not sure there's a correct answer to that. I mean, they, they just have different problems and downsides that they bring to the table. But it used to be, at least it seemed like to me when I was growing up, that if, you know, there wasn't a huge difference between the Republican you know, sort of party, if you will, the, the the idea of being a Republican between the average man, you know, just put on his hat and coat and went to work every day, or the average gal did the same thing. And someone who was, you know, professionally a Republican, a politician, right? You know, they sort of were in the same mindset. And the same is true of the Democrats, right? You know, if you were a Democrat, you put on your hat and coat and went to work, or if you were a Democrat that was a politician, I mean, you, you may be more verbose in your approach to issues, but you sort of were in the same headspace. And now, 
I think that's very different. Like, I think the average person who would say, well, yeah, you know, I'm a Republican. You said, well, okay. I mean, are you lined up with, you know, this person and this person, this person, this person who are all, you know, professional Republicans, they would probably go, "Eh, not really. And if you were to go to the average person who's a Democrat and say, okay, well, are you lined up with this person, this person, this person who, you know, are professionally Democrats or representing your party and Congress or wherever that I think most of us go, well, and so you've almost got these lines drawn. It'll be interesting to see how there's obviously rabid members of, of those constituencies on, on both sides, but it'll be interesting to see how you know anxious just the average person in your hometown is to go, yes, I'm a Republican. I'm behind the things Republicans do, or yes, I'm a Democrat. I'm behind the things that Democrats do. And I realize that those squeaky wheels on both sides get most of the ink, right? You know, most of the press is, and I think that's what you're seeing happening with Biden and, and this supposed push for him to call for a ceasefire in Israel is, is the press is focusing on those, you know, 17 people on his campaign and not the 87 people left in his campaign who are going, no, don't do that. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, if we become as a society more moderate and if that starts to carry issues, which would be a great thing, right? Because extremism is rarely good. Yeah, and I don't I don't know anyone that's anxious to to get into this campaign season and defend any of these candidates. So I think it's going to be a uh, a lot of people just rubbing their heads and waiting for 2025 and then hoping for the best and hoping the world doesn't end. Uh let's see, speaking of the world potentially ending, uh I don't know if you've seen the latest from the Jeffrey Epstein, of course he's the murdered uh serial pedophile, I guess you'd call him. Billionaire serial pedophile, he he was murdered by the Clintons. Well, Committed suicide, air quotes. Uh, and uh, the, the latest uh, information has come out about that. They've been talking about it for weeks, this big document drop about all the people that uh, were part of uh, his universe who traveled with him and includes people like, I mean, you knew Bill Clinton. I think Bill Clinton traveled on his plane, Epstein's plane, about 50 times. Well, aren't there a- pictures of Clinton, you know, like getting back rubs and whatnot from these underage gals? There are, there are. Pictures of Clinton on the flight, pictures of him with some of these women who are now, I mean, who are very, very young, pictures of him with Epstein, like mugging it up on the uh, on the plane. Um, and, uh, you know, even Trump, Trump, there are pictures of Trump with with him and with that the Maxwell woman who's uh, uh, now in uh, now in custody. But it, it also goes much probably you knew about Prince Andrew, but now it's mm-hmm. like uh, Naomi Campbell. Leonardo DiCaprio is part of this whole thing. And so I'm surprised Biden is not uh, was not uh, roped into this. But there are just dozens and dozens of celebrities. I mean, Michael Jackson at one point traveled with the guy. Um, it, it's Der- Dershowitz, of course, enjoyed a lot of time with him. Um, but it's it's remarkable how many of how many people were in his uh, in his universe and, and in his uh uh, traveled with him. I mean, I, Bill Richardson, the, the the late governor of New Mexico, former hostage negotiator, release negotiator, I guess. Al Gore, George Lucas from Star Wars fame. Um, all these people were uh, uh, at one point or another connected with Epstein. Traveled to his little his little island there in the uh, Caribbean, where these women were taken uh, to and taken advantage of. And there's even, believe it or not, there is even extensive information about Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, remember the... Um, yeah, I'm sure. Yep, physicist. Yeah. 
I guess he was, and I don't know how this is possible, but I guess he was involved, allegedly, as part of this document dump, involved in a quote-unquote underage orgy. Um, he, he was down there, I guess, and they, he was, they were wheeling him around as part of the uh, some conference that Epstein hosted. They took him down to a little submarine. There are pictures of him there. Um, but I, uh, I guess even Stephen Hawking was uh, involved with this guy. So it's, and then there are more documents to come, but uh, it's quite, it's quite remarkable how many people are, uh, are involved here. And then also, you know, you see someone like Prince Andrew, who is completely now ostracized. And even though he was trying to uh, um, get back into the good graces of King, King Charles, King Charles, mm -hmm. uh, he is probably not going to be coming down for breakfast at Windsor Castle anytime soon because of the, I think, guess there are new orgy allegations against him that are, that are the quote unquote, the final nail in the coffin is what they're saying. Um but uh, there, there are just so many people connected to this. And it's unlike Prince Andrew, who has been banished to a, what, a 300-room castle in the middle yeah. of Scotland. Poor guy. Um, Bill Clinton is still running around. He's run Last time I saw him, he was just like on a – someone was following him around with like a TMZ phone camera, watching him just dotter around in uh, in uh, the Hamptons, just look window shopping. It was just sort of window shopping, just yeah. walking down the street, Secret Service behind him. <laughs> so he's doing well. Well, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, the Clintons are of an age where they're going to be able to run off the clock, right? I mean, there's just, you know, there have been so much smoke and they've been able to, you know, extinguish it again and again and again through cronyism and threats and who knows what else. But, you know, they're of an age now where, you know, like I said, they could probably just run off the clock on this. But it's always been fascinating to me. And, and I, in fairness, I did not dive in. Well, what's that gal's name? Is it Maxwell? Is that her last Jelaine name? Maxwell. Jelaine Maxwell. I did not dive into all the ins and outs of her criminal trial. And so I don't have all the facts. And I will admit that up front. But it is interesting to me that she was convicted of a conspiracy. And to my knowledge, no one was able to point to co-conspirators. Right? I mean, in order to have a conspiracy, there has to be co-conspirators. You can commit a crime all by yourself, obviously. And that's fine. But I don't think she was convicted of that. I think she was convicted of of a conspiracy to you know take advantage of these underage gals and who knows what else without any co-conspirators. And you know, I mean, it's got to make you wonder, right? Like, well, okay, she certainly appears to be guilty. She certainly appears to deserve the sentence she was given. And, you know, no no problem with any of that. But where are the other folks? for whom she facilitated this criminal behavior, thus making her a conspirator, right? And I, and I don't think the answer was, well, it's just Jeffrey Epstein. It was just a two-person conspiracy to take advantage of, of, you know, any number of underage gals and who knows who else, right? I, I, I think it was, well, no, there was a lot of people involved in this. It was a bad thing. You know, it happened on the plane, happened on the island, you know, multiple folks involved and and they get to the end of the trial and they're like, well, okay, and you're guilty of that, but no one else. I just, I don't get that. And so maybe someone can, what do you do now? Do you still tweet or do you send an X? What's that called? You, say, you said you send an X. So maybe can, someone can send us an X. Well, I think oh, some, of the, some, of this, some of this document dump gets to some of that. Like, for example, you know the magician David Copperfield? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, I guess, I guess he was involved in a dinner at one of Epstein's many homes, uh, and it was—I guess it was attended by a number of uh, underage girls. And um, 
I guess Copperfield quote, did a number of magic tricks around the table and then asked a number of the girls if they were aware that girls were getting paid to find other girls. And so that's one of the allegations against Epstein and Maxwell is that these they would pay these girls to go out and get other under underage girls looped into this thing. And it's uh, you know, so he's he's one of them. I, similar allegations against uh, uh, a number of politicians um, and uh, just the number of people I don't know. Ahud Barak, remember him, the former Israeli prime minister? Uh, oh, yeah. he, he was apparently involved in this. He was a regular guest of. Epstein's at his Upper East Side townhouse and flew on the jet a number of times. Um, and so he's, I guess, you know, he's just Kevin Spacey was involved. Um, and well, uh, he's a known, you know, great guy. So, and then Bill Richardson was getting massages. Al Gore was uh, um, flying around too. So, yeah, I mean, it's a number, it's, it's the who's who uh, of uh, God. Al Gore does not look good. He looks, he looks awful. It's it's living without a carbon footprint that's really done him in. Yeah, it's just, well, it's all that private jet flying just really wears you out. Yeah, he uh, he's it's just you know with, without any sense of irony at all. You know, much like uh, what's his name, the the former Kerry. You know, just with with like no apparent self awareness, just taking private jets to different places on the globe where a bunch of rich people get together and bitch about the climate. They all fly in on their private jets. It's like King Charles, King Charles says that. Astounding. I mean, it's just. I mean, is no one. If you are, if you truly believe in climate change, and, and you know, it doesn't even matter what position you take. I'm just talking to you folks who none of whom are listening to this very fine program. But if if you truly believe that climate change is 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 the impending doom hanging over the planet then the first people you should be screaming at are all these jackholes from various first world governments who are you know living in extremes right i mean just their consumptive spending flying around on private jets owning multiple automobiles all the things that you profess to hate you should just be screaming at them right instead of just howling at the rest of the like, you know, just the average man walking down the street who goes, look, I don't have any control over the climate. Uh, you, you know, I mean, I work at a McDonald's. Sorry. Right. I mean, instead of haranguing the average person on the street in any city, in any town in, on the globe, you should be going after those folks. I mean, they are the problem. If it, To the extent that you believe there's a problem, that's where it comes from. But of course, they're not. So. Yeah, but they're not listening anyway, so it doesn't uh, doesn't, matter. doesn't matter. I can tell you where they may be heading. Are you familiar with the um, the? And you probably are because you've been skiing already this year. I have. Are you Are you familiar with Colorado's Sunlight Mountain Resort? I am not. I think I know most of the. Well, I certainly don't know most of the resorts in Colorado ski areas. I think I would at least recognize the name, but I, I am not familiar with the Sunlight Mountain Resort. This is, is a ski uh, area, or is it? You know, just like a spa. It looks. It looks like a nice resort. It's um. It's. It's. I guess it's at Sunlight Mountain, Colorado. Yeah, not. Uh, Which would make sense. Not familiar, buddy. Yeah, I'm not a big spa guy though. So if it's like a spa, I probably don't know much about it. No, I mean it looks like there's actual there's slopes and there are um there's a. a Ski lift, I guess you'd call it. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Um, this is a uh, a big ski event called the Boot Tan Fest, and it's coming up in the next week or so at this uh, resort. And uh, it looks like um, it's going to be well attended. 
And it what is did you a, call it? The boot and what? Boot and fest. And it's a woman only skiing event uh, in um, in uh, Sunlight Mountain, Colorado, mm-hmm. where they are hosting. How are we defining woman? I should be able to go, right? It is right. open to non-binary skiers and those who are female identifying only. So if you're male okay. identifying, you cannot participate. You can't go. But as long as you're willing to call yourself a woman, there could be any number of, you know, six foot five, hairy, you know, people skiing down the slopes. You could, you could identify as long as you identified as a woman. And what's interesting right. about this is that uh, they are going to be doing several, and I don't even know how this works, right? I don't even, mm-hmm. um, naked laps, lap, ski, I guess they call it a lap. They call it an after when? hours lap on chilly Colorado slopes. I was just going to um, say, if they're going to do that anytime soon, then, you know, while I myself am very unlikely to participate in this for a number of reasons, I will give a tip of the cap to anyone who is willing in January, you know, to go hit the slopes in Colorado. It's, uh, you know, it's nippy. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be March. It's going to be March. Yeah, March got a higher sun angle. If they do it during the day, they might, they might catch a good day. It's sponsored by Buck Wild Coffee. Are you familiar with that? I am not. Yeah, I'm not either, but it's Boot Tan Fest. Um, so I guess as part of this, meet the team, it's a bunch of she, her, she, her, she, her, she, her, she. Yeah, these are a bunch of female identifying people. They started with 27 people participating in the event several years ago, and now it's up to 2,000 people. Nice. Uh, and, uh, and and so I guess I take it you're not attending, but it looks like a nice, a nice event. Now, how would you, and there are actually pictures of these people, um, good Lord. I, I don't know how you would, I mean, yeah. I mean, you got, they got to have the boots. So they're not hundred percent naked. They have the boots and they have hats. Oh, yeah, you and need goggles. It's really hard to ski without boots. Like really hard. Cause you yeah, so they, tape your feet to the that would be duct tape or something. Yeah. So they got the boots and they got the mm-hmm. goggles and the, oh, it's uh, in Glenwood Springs. Okay, that right well, I, know where that, I, I know where that is. No, 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 it's a, it's I don't know, a couple hours from here, but, uh, our, Youngest used to go there and, and play the Colorado Springs or I'm sorry, Glenwood Springs high school in uh, sports. So we, I mean, I mean, there are, there are pictures of these people. I mean, it can't be comfortable going down the mountain with no, clothes. I would not, I, yeah, I would not do it. I mean, uh, even in March, I would not do it. If, if you have an issue, you know, and you happen to take a tumble, it's uncomfortable, buddy. It's uncomfortable. You're, you're falling into, you know, tiny grains of ice. And so you want to have something between, you know, the birthday suit and the ice as a general rule. So, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm looking at this link that you sent me. And on this link, there's a picture of a Sierra Schlag, she, her, Mm -hmm. who is a social media sorcerer. And in the picture, she is, you know, in the skiing term, she's, she's taking a chest shot, right? So she's in, in pow deep enough that it's coming all the way up to her chin and of course, in this picture, she is wearing a parka and mittens and goggles and a helmet. Well, if you look at the second link, I look at the second link I sent you. There are actually three yeah, that's of them. That's the way you want to do it. You don't want to do that same thing with no. Um, you know, yeah, this no is parka. gross. Well, the second link has the women with no clothes on. Well, it's just boots, you know but they have their. They're blocking all their pride. You don't have to worry because they have yeah. skis or a snowboard in front of their private so but it's just not uh, yeah That's i mean fine. i mean i you know what buddy i don't have any problem with this i mean as long as they're 
not coercing anyone into doing something they don't want to do. And as long as they're all adults, if you are the kind of person who wants to ski down a mountain naked, go for it. I don't, I mean, I don't have any problem with it. I don't understand it. You may join in. Yeah, I could join. I, well, I, I'm eligible to join in if I'm willing to just say, Hey, I'm non-binary. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm tertiary or whatever it is I need to be, but whatever. I mean, if these gals want to get together and just, you know, do a couple of naked laps in Glenwood Springs in March and boot tan fest and how, you know, somehow herald themselves as, you know, contributing to humankind in general and making the world a better place. God bless them. You can get an overnight camping pass for $39 an APRE ski ticket for $102 mm-hmm. and all access all the time VIP for $171 for how long? Cause that's eminently reasonable. I mean, it's more than $171 just to get a lift ticket. So you get two day pass is $220. Oh, oh okay. I was going to say, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're getting to ski at all for 171 bucks, then that's frankly a bargain. Now, again, I myself would not, uh, would not partake, but you know, for those of you that are looking for a bargain and you are either a woman or identify as a woman and you're willing to ski naked, well, then you can do, you can hit the slopes at a bargain basement rate by going to this, uh, what do they call it? Boot and tan fest. Boot Shit tan fest. There. Yeah. Yeah. It looks good for your, for your, your $170 for one day, you get a 24 hour uphill pass. Uh, but wait, there's more Our artist village and live entertainment will make your day unforgettable tailgating live music giveaways. Uh, and uh, yeah, two days, you get two days of that. And then you overnight camp for another 39 bucks. I'll tell you what, what says welcome to 2024 better than a, uh, a ticket to the boot tan fest. Nothing that I can think of. Again, I mean, I'm in, I'm ineligible. I think you're ineligible. Um, but if you're eligible, you should get yourself there. Prince Andrew would love it. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, I don't. You know what? Of, of all Maybe. the things I don't want to see near the top of that list is is Prince Andrew. Him with a thong coming down a hill. Yeah, uh, well, there it is. I mean, we've covered quite a bit here today. Quite a bit. Well, as usual, buddy. I mean, we start off the year with a bang. We've covered all the big topics. We've covered some of the smaller topics. We've covered some naked topics that are sliding on snow. Naked. We've done our we've done our job, buddy. What we've done is our job. And that's what you can expect for the rest of the year. Even though it's going to be a jungle, even though it's going to be unpleasant, we'll get through it together. And we'll we've done it today. And we'll do it again next week, right here on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.